works back to the blue line. Drops it off to Riley. Riley with a shot. Scores! John Tavares may be in front of the net. And I think it is the captain ending that long drought. And the Maple Leafs on the power play have taken a 2-1 lead on a goal by John Tavares. You know, you just stay with it and you know it's going to come. So obviously nice to get it to... Uh... At a, at a crucial point in the game and, and to give us the lead and, and certainly with the way things have been for us with the power play up and down and how the whole group responded uh, to get two big ones in the third. So, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, uh, good feeling. Yeah, I mean, it was big. John's a huge part of this team and, um, you know, a great professional, a great teammate. And, um, you know, sometimes you go through tough, tough segments, tough slides, and, you know, he's coming to the rink every day and been the same person that he always is. So um, it's great to see him get one. Yeah, sometimes your tough slides or tough seasons are 40 goal seasons. Uh, and sometimes your tough slides are 10 games without a goal mm -hmm. or nine without a point in the case of a John Tavares fan morning show, Sports Time 59 of the fan, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning. Toronto Maple Leafs with a 4 2 victory over the Winnipeg Jets on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday as they head into their bye week before the All-Star break right now. And they've won three consecutive. Yuli Samsonov has won all three, mm -hmm. getting better by the game. Although, no, that's not true because Wednesday was better than Saturday. But Saturday, pretty good after allowing the first goal. Uh, as you like to say, scoreboard, equally as good. Uh, yeah, because the, the W is still the same. Mm -hmm. uh, Leafs score two power play goals in a game for the first time since, do you know when, Brent? I actually don't. Uh, at least uh, 20 attempts ago. I know that much. Yep. Uh, the second game, the home game against the San Jose Sharks. So like the uh, first a game of multiple power play goals uh, against a, a real team. The last time they did it against a real team. Thank you. And, you know, like, ooh, it's, it's, I guess this is, we're working towards realness here. Um, it was the game that we felt might have ended Ilya Samsonov's career, uh, the Blue Jackets game. They scored two power play goals in that game in the 6-5 overtime loss. So it's been a while. They're like real adjacent. Yeah. Yeah, they can like see real from where they are. Or it's like it's like 3D, but like the first video game, 3D of like, okay, right. I get what you you're getting at You have to wear the glasses. I see what you're getting at. Yeah. It doesn't quite, if I squint, I mm. can see it. Yeah. At least go two for three on the power play and not just go two for three on the power play. Look very different than the power play looked on mm -hmm. Wednesday in a one nothing victory for the Toronto Maple Leafs over the Jets where they gave up a shorthanded 2 on 0. There were no shorthanded <laughs> 2 on 0s on Saturday. Low bar. Did clear it. In Winnipeg. Uh, yeah, there's still a long ways to go for the Leafs power play to get where I'm sure they expect to be, where they can be. They are ninth in power play percentage, but better, obviously, than Wednesday. What also happened on Wednesday, immediately following the shorthanded 2-0, the number one power play unit was given a breather. Uh, just for that period, though, because they came back and, and in the third period gave... We're given the first crack at the next opportunity. But in the second period, they didn't get into the the power play that followed that until the second half of it. And then there was another power play. I don't think they appeared at all on that power play in the second period. Nope. Did we see proof of concept for Sheldon Keefe as far as bringing down the hammer in-game, benching players, yielding positive results? Because it's hard not to go back-to-back one game, top power play unit, looks bad, gives up shorthanded two on O's, benched. Next game, they look much better, score two power plays, gold in their, two power play goals in their three attempts. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to poo-poo it having any effect. I, I don't know that it's a straight cause and effect on it either. I think that this is a group that was eventually 
If, if she, and it would have taken a long time and I would have criticized him for it. And I'm not saying this was the way to go about it, but guess what? With that group, that talented, you could have sat on your hands and eventually the worm would have turned on it. Now, I'm happy he didn't do that. I'm happy there was accountability, but I don't know that I can draw a straight A to B line as that look in that way. I mean, Matthews, and granted, like you earn your looks, but Matthews gets a look from the, again, the hash marks to unleash one. You know, it wouldn't have mattered. Forget like, oh, this goalie's a brick wall. You could have had a literal brick wall in net and Matthews would have blown it clean through it. The Tavares tip, that one is much more a sign of them looking to stop being so perfect, them just getting pucks to net. So I think it probably had some effect, but I don't want to overstate it. I'm not trying to have a straw man argument that you're saying this, but I don't think it was some come to Jesus moment where these guys go, oh my God, we have to get our our stuff together. I think the come to Jesus moment, whether whether the benching needed to happen or not, Mm -hmm. was the two on no. Like these guys are professionals. They have pride and I'm happy they were punished for it. Mm-hmm. But I do think if anything, I think the embarrassing nature of that had more of a direct effect than Keith sitting them down. And again, I'm happy he did it though. Yeah, I was happy with it in the moment, uh, both strategically and like you were talking about long-term effect. And I guess the proof is in the pudding, whether you want to say that it was a direct result mm-hmm. of their benching in that game. Yeah, I think there was a strategic reason not to put them back out there in that game anyways. Yep. It's not like they were getting the job done. They were allowing shorthanded uh, two on O's. To me, what I keep coming back to with this team, it's not the first time I've said it. Mm. And maybe it's oversimplifying things. And and maybe it's true of a lot of teams in the NHL. But specifically with this one, you get average to above average goaltending and you do the job on special teams, which is like, just hold your head above water, killing penalties. Because I, I, I don't think this team is going to be an upper echelon team on the penalty kill unless they get you know, Vesna caliber goaltending, um, and then be a top three team on the power play. And boy, how does this season look uh, differently from a wins and losses perspective today if we're talking about this team being what they should be on the power play and getting average to above average goaltending for the majority of the season. That's what they've gotten over these two games against a very good Jets team. Yeah, it is remarkable. You get some saves and it papers over everything. I mean, obviously the biggest save we're talking about is that is that 2-1-0 going back to the Wednesday game, but you saw Samsonov come up in big spots when the penalty kill did get hemmed in hemmed in a little bit there, and you always need your goalie to, to be your best penalty killer. The interesting thing I think about this, and obviously you want your special teams clicking, and we have such a focus on it in the playoffs, but we also know, like, power plays dry up, and in the past, that has been a problem for the Leafs because you've wanted their skill guys to do that, but maybe with the way this team's built this year, and I'm not talking about the power play, but the idea of there being less you know, penalty kill opportunities for this group, not the worst thing, even if they are getting uh, better goaltending, which they did this weekend. All right, we are fast approaching February, which means we are fast approaching family day, which means it's time to start thinking about your family day gifts that yes. you're going to give your family. Everyone right? knows you got to get a family day gift. Uh, what better gift than Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs co-authored by Gord Stellick and Damian Cox. Uh, we are happy to be joined now by half of that duo, Gord Stellick on the line. How's it going, Gordo? Well, it's great. I just think of all these kids and adults waking up on, on family day oh. and, and under the family day recycling can, you know, or whatever the tradition is. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking with the name Revival, great Easter present as well. I know we're like oh, a ways away yeah. from that, but that's a good yes. Easter present as well, Gordo. Well, and and part of what the, you know the revival thing and sort of reviving a bit of a post Christmas pu- push on it is what's happened this past week and heading into All Star Weekend is that you look at the 2024 Leafs compared to and, and part of what Damien and I wrote about was in this team of Daryl Sittler, Boria Sami, Lanny McDonald, Tiger Williams, 
four homegrown Maple Leafs that came together, kind of like you've got Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, Morgan Riley, you know, that kind of buzz on that. Now, they did win that epic playoff series against the New York Islanders. Now, then, unfortunately, it all came apart. But they did get that kind of series win, which this team is lacking. Now, I don't know if 40 years down the road, these guys will be best friends like Sittler, Sami, McDonald, and Tiger were. Like, it's pretty incredible. 40 years later, yeah. they still consider each other best friends. I mean, who knows how that plays out down the road. But the comparables heading into a bunch of them being all-stars and just this kind of energy and buzz and trying to get to that next level – uh, very, very comparable. So I appreciate the chance to uh, uh, revive revival, but mm-hmm. also to kind of tie it into the uh, to Burley because the Pat Burns and Pat Quinn eras, those weren't homegrown Leafs players that made those kind of runs. So anyway, that's kind of a neat comparable uh, going on as far as this team goes compared to that team that Damien and I wrote about. Yeah, and if uh, this Leafs team has any modicum of postseason success, I mean, uh, yeah, Austin Matthews is going to be viewed as, as the greatest Leaf of all time. I think it's almost undeniable. Uh, it almost doesn't matter what happens in the postseason. And yeah, if there's any level of postseason success, um, this entire uh, homegrown core is going to be viewed as uh, one of the most incredible cores of uh, uh, any Toronto Maple Leafs team in history. Uh, let's just talk about specifically this team and where they find themselves at the break. It's 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 an incredible finish to the first half of the season as far as some guys eliminating some long scoreless droughts and, and guys continuing uh, incredible runs like Ilya Samsonov. Where do you evaluate the Toronto Maple Leafs at the All-Star break right now, Gord? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Ben and Brent, because I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking that you know, every Monday, it's like we're, it's like a Leaf therapy check-in group, okay? Like whether we do it on Monday mornings or just anybody else does that, it's not that terrible team that the only 20-goal score was P.A. Parento, okay, pre-drafting uh, Matthews and company. And then talking about, look at this great young talent. And, you know, on and on and on. It's, it's, it's kind of like they are what they are, right? I mean, you kind of would hoped in regular season that they would, have gone on more of a consistent run and, you know, be maybe more like the Boston Bruins with a, with a firm handle on first place in their division. But the, the, the wins this week and against the top, as good a team as uh, of late being the Winnipeg Jets, two of them, you know, just kind of shows whether you want to call it an inconsistency. But the fact is this team has shown its warts when it's not able to play great, not focusing on team concepts, not focusing on D. And then when they, when they can play, they can play with anybody and beat anybody. And, you know, that was the case last week. And you, you look at the standings, there's still, it's still a battle to get in the playoffs. Like, man, if they were one and two this past week, you know, you're really scratching for a playoff spot. So you, you, it's kind of the, what's going to show up in game number 83. Is it the many positives starting with Austin Matthews? Is it Ilya Samsonov of all things? Like, is that goaltender, which goaltender can it possibly be Samsonov? If Joe Wall's not healthy, whatever, are they going to get that kind of goaltending that they need? So, I think every Monday it's kind of we check in or whatever day of the week and you check in and go, okay, they are what they are, man. It's a bumpy ride. It's been a, you know, there, there's a inconsistent season part to it, but when they're good, they're really good. And let's hope they can find more of being really good. And that's kind of what the first half has been. Yeah, you uh, you you definitely want to see that. You know, I've I've it's funny. You know, you and I have talked about this team so much over the last couple of years, and we've all had these conversations of, okay, you know what they need to do? They need to win the division. That's going to be the way to get success, and that hasn't happened yet, except in the North Division. And okay, maybe they just need to get hot at the right time. And now the theory seems to be, you know what? Don't worry so much about the regular season. Obviously, you want to get in, but maybe that's the secret sauce for this team is just kind of going about their business and, and finding their footing. It's 
it's so interesting, Gord, through this Leafs era, you know, a lot of teams that have had a similar core stick together, they've had a lot of similar stories throughout that core. But it seems like this Leafs team, for for a team that has so many of the same principles year in and year out, it really does seem like every year is kind of like its own its, its own unique animal, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think one thing different this year, Brett, I think anyway, we'll see when we head into the trade deadline. I think people are kind of saying, okay, the, the knight in white armor is not going to do it. The Nick Foligno, the Ryan O'Reilly, okay, we got to get away from that. You know, let's get the, hey, let's get the Luke Shen. Let's get a piece or two, you know, a depth piece or two at the deadline. But the fact, who's going to come in and, wow, we're talking about him hoisting that stamp. No, no, it's got to be these guys. It's got to be these guys, okay? It's on them. And, and they're capable of doing it, and they're capable of not doing it. And uh, so around the trade deadline, I mean, you've given up so many futures already, uh, Kyle Dubas has, in other trades to try to get to that promised land. That Yeah, it's uh, so uh, around trade deadline, let, let's not talk about whoever the Patrick Kane version is this year coming to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, this is the group that's got to get it done. Yeah, they, they went out and got a Conn Smythe winner last year and Ryan O'Reilly. But they got a guy who had 10 points in seven games in his last postseason appearance and Tyler Bertuzzi already on the roster. Uh, he was a, a goal was stolen from him, robbed on, on Saturday. Where's your level of belief, though, that that is still something that 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 may pay dividends for the Toronto Maple Leafs when they get to the postseason? Well, it's uh, I you know I don't know if it's supposed to grade it out of ten, but I'll, I'll give it a positive thing. I mean, that's the hope, that's the belief. I mean, that's the kind you know it's it's more and more of those kind of players that you look at. And you say, okay, whatever the 82-game season was, if it was, you know, Midland, a little bit disappointing, you get a chance that in, in the bonus round, it's like final jeopardy. Okay, everything else dissipates right. if you are a strong competitor in the play. And they've not had enough of those particular players. So my level's still pretty good about those. I mean, that, like, like guys like Bertuzzi, one thing Domi had done the last couple of years was be kind of a trade deadline trade that played some serious playoff time and, played well in the playoffs. So, I mean, that was a big part in looking and getting those. I mean, the Klingberg ship has sailed due to injury. Ryan Reeves is a, is, is a different situation to bring toughness. But those two players, you know, it's the kind of thing, if, you, if we're talking later about, you know, having a, having a Corey Perry, you know, to, or Patrick Maroon-type playoff, you know, uh, that, then that's really what it's all about. And that's, that was a big part of acquiring them. I mean, it's not about, you know, whatever trades Brad Living was making, was this is a team that the assumption is they should make the playoffs, and they should make the playoffs. So uh, all along, but what what can help you in the next level, considering you're not going to have a lot of currency around the trade deadline? Yeah, I don't think this player is going to be a Corey Perry or Patrick Maroon type uh, at all, but I, I'd be lying if I don't love the strides he's made. You know, Nick Robertson is someone who, have, you know, in baseball we'd call him, in my opinion, uh, a quad A guy, a guy who's had some looks but hasn't quite got there. I've changed my tune on him this year to a certain extent. Uh, you know, I always knew what he was to offensively. We knew he had that shot. We knew he had the ability to get it off. But I really like the way he's kind of rounded out his game. And, you know, he's never going to be some Selkie winner, a guy you think of as a true 200-foot player. But it feels like he has really kind of made some strides just in, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of being a pro. Where where are you at on Nick Robertson, and how do you think he fits in? Because, you know, I think a lot of people have thought, okay, that's a nice regular season player. I don't know that that's a guy you want in the playoffs, and I'm kind of changing my tune on that. Where are you at on him, Gordo? Yeah, you know, I thought you brought uh, break it down rather well. I mean, the strange one was, and this is particularly in a place like – you know, a place like Toronto, you know, Toronto, it's, it's, it's like Paling in Montreal getting that great uh, hat trick, a, a last regular season game in a big market like that. <laughs> so, right. 
so the fact we came out of the bubble or came in, started the games in the bubble, and we were just thrilled that, okay, wow, one big step to get a sense of, well, normalcy, playing in a bubble in the summer. But you know what I mean? Get back to <laughs> NHL hockey from whoomph, the, the world ending, the season ending, and three months earlier was, okay, great, okay, we're playing. Oh, wow, the Leafs are going to start Nick Robertson. They're going to start him in a playoff game. So all of a sudden, it really, I guess, titillated. It was too strong a word, but the Leaf fan go, wow, this guy's something mm. special. He scores goals. He does that in junior, and, you know, maybe this will be kind of a, uh, a seamless Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, whatever type uh, entry into the core nine forwards up front. So I think probably our expectations were maybe, maybe weighted a little bit too much in that way. And then, of course, he had the injury situation, which uh, – was a big, big setback. So I, th- I think your breakdown, like, it's funny, a lot of times people forget about it. Like, oh, yeah, Nick Robertson back in the lineup. And I think being more, be more of a complete player and all those things is the biggest part of his game that's grown. It's not about this potential scoring phenom. And, again, can he be, can he be a solid contributor? He can in the regular season. Can he do it in the playoffs? Like, again, again, the jury will be out. And hopefully whatever the jury is, 12 of them, whatever numbers on a jury, they all, they all come through, whether it's a guy like Bertuzzi, who's a veteran, or, or a guy like Robertson that's still on the uh, uh, earlier side of his NHL career. Yeah. Is he just a victim of, you know, joining a team in which, you know, they, one guy is the first overall selection, arrives with all the fanfare, first game he ever plays in the NHL, scores four goals. Uh, and he's already racked up, what, six forty goal seasons, says 600 points. Uh, another guy, Mitch Marner, a top 10 pick, he's already at 600 points. Um, he's been pretty great right from the, the word go. And William Nylander, you know, he's just established himself now as, as, as closer to those guys as far as points are considered, that he's joining a team in which we've seen these incredible young players immediately hit the ground running, that he's not afforded the same luxuries of, like, normal NHL prospects of, yeah, growing into their game a little bit. That's a great point, Ben. You can answer now, Gord, but I just wanted to say that. Well, he's, uh, I guess he's the Nate Pearson of the Leafs. Is that it? No, you know, please not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Nate Pearson never finally arrived, but just uh, he's uh, that that kind. I mean, Nate Pearson we heard forever was supposed to be in the uh, in the starting rotation or wherever somewhere in that. In this mm-hmm. case, at least Robertson's there. But but you're right, you're right. It's all of a sudden because this incredible you know incredible run when you know you go you look at it that you know, I think we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. But just the fact that that one year they give the NHL Rookie of the Month out six times in a season. And the one season, the Leafs won four of the six. Uh, Nylander <laughs> won it twice. Matthews won it once. Marner won it once. I mean, you've never had three players from one team win it. And I, don't, I doubt two players have very often. But three players from one team win that uh, award uh, in one season, except for that. And that just showed the level uh, of the excellence of youth coming in. But here we are talking years later about not being really uh, a, a great just one playoff win and even that resulting in a dismal second round exit so that's the kind of thing okay it brings us back to that whether it's nick robertson's going to be in the nhl lineup and scoring 30 goals or where is that all rookie team now and not and we have no playoff success to talk about basically all these years later yeah, that's right. Uh, it's, oh man, it's so funny. Like, we wind and wind ourselves in circles and always end up in the exact same spot of, yeah, and the playoffs uh, are the success they, they've had to show for it. Uh, Tavares uh, getting off the schneid. He gets a goal. Power play's looking good. Uh, how big is that for him, just to kind of have the positive feeling heading into All-Star break? You know, I think if anybody could handle the thought of a slump heading into a week off, he is probably the human most likely, uh, you know, equipped to handle that, especially on this team. But that has to feel good for him i mean longest goal he said he was a human though he let us know he was human he was feeling it he was he's a human being (laughs) 
I don't know that I believe him, but that was nice of him to say. <laughs> well, he's always, uh, you know, you wonder of all the guys, like he, he never seems to get too high. So I'd have to think maybe he doesn't get too low, but I think. he certainly is human. But yeah, it was, uh, it, it? It, when, when you have a long break, you're right about it. And also as a team, the fact they enter it with a number of wins, you know, just we talk about that Christmas break, uh, you get a few days off and if you've lost four in a row or you're in a slump, you know, it, it impacts uh, how you're feeling. Oh, and it gives you more days to kind of fester or wallow in it. So, yeah, again, again, a positive. Uh, again, I have, you know, last year his play in the playoffs was a positive, really, of all the big guns. Uh, Nylander has been the most consistent over the years in the playoffs. So, again, I don't know what does it mean in game number 83, but mm. – uh, this is, a, you know, he's had other seasons when he's had 47 goals, what have you. But uh, uh, I have to think that for him, yeah, it would be a, a, a positive. And I think even though he says he's, you know, he's human, uh, I, I think he's a pretty well-balanced guy. Uh, I think so. Uh, last one before you go. What does it mean in game 47 for Ryan Reeves to get back in there for the first time in, in what, over a month? And uh, not just to score a goal, but to be like a net positive uh, in all areas of the game. And then at the end, he gets into a little... Uh, physicality uh, against uh, uh, his hometown team. Um, where do you put his standing as we head towards the second half of the season, considering also the injuries the uh, Maple Leafs have up front? Yeah, you know, I, I think, Ben, the, it's great the, the second part of the season, or getting a second kind of whack at it, because Ryan Reeves, he also brings the right kind of personality for it. There's a larger-than-life personality that he brings. I, I still uh, don't quibble with people who, who still the three years, think a three-year contract's a little, little much, term-wise, you know, for a player that age playing that kind of role. But he got, off, he got off to that horrible start, not himself personally, but remember the fourth line was like minus one every game, almost yep. every game in the first 10. And you're kind of going, that's exactly what they don't want to be. Uh, he showed what he could do. He showed his physicality, that role. But if you're going to be minus one, not just him singularly, but then you can't really go on the ice a hell of a lot. And they kind of got dogged by that early on. So, you know, early on when none of the guys, none of the new players were connecting really in any big time way, shape or form, that was the case for him. And so it, it's kind of a, nobody really wants, nobody of course wants to get hurt, but this break coming back and getting that kind of goal and okay, getting back more with that kind of karma and that, and being able to do his role with not always having the dash one after the game, I think it gives him a real positive second start. Again, uh, enjoy your family day. Uh, no better way to do it than by purchasing a copy of Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs, co-authored by Gord Stelic and Damian Cox. Gordo, thanks as always. Thanks, gentlemen. Talk to you next week. Take Sounds care. Sounds good. There, uh, there goes Gord Stelic. Um, yeah, the Nick Robertson thing is interesting, considering the expectations put on him because, mm-hmm. you know, this team is looking for young, cheap talent, yeah. considering the top-heavy salary cap nature of the forward group. Can I add one more, well, one more wrinkle to that that you mentioned? We think of that as Matthews and Marner. You know who else has kind of colored the expectations? And this guy's having a bit of a rookie dip or whatever you want to call it is Matthew Nice. Yeah. Like he comes in and part of it is that he was talked up so much. There was mm-hmm. the belief he was going to come out maybe the year earlier. And then he eventually, you know, comes or, or leaves college after, after he gets bounced in the frozen four there. And he comes in, he's a bowling ball, and he's a completely different type of player. And I think that's the other part is that you picture Robertson, it's like, okay, he's in the Nylander-Marner mold. And Nyes gets to be his own entity. Part of it is, you know, and it's weird. They're both second-round picks. Like, we think of them as as Robertson as this kind of maybe a little highly more highly touted.
scouted guy because he's been around so long. Uh, but I, I really do like the the strides he's made. And it's not just the goals per 60 numbers. Obviously, you shoot it in the net, you're mm-hmm. going to get more leash. But I think he's kind of earned more leash with his play away from the puck, which I don't think should surprise anyone too much because that's where it was always going to have to come from. But I think it's really, really important to see a player like that make uh, make those strides. Yeah, he's a fine player. And and the idea that yeah he's he's playable now, uh, getting a little more trust I guess from his head coach, uh, putting the puck in the well, back of the net. Yarn Crockard is only going to allow him a chance to get. I mean, different players are asked to do mm-hmm. different things, but you're going to need that body. Uh, when Gord said Nate Pearson, mm-hmm. I did wince, but I don't know what the hockey equivalent is of striking out five in two scoreless innings against the Rays. Now, mm-hmm. it did come in a loss, mm-hmm. but but I'd take Nick that. Nick Robertson g- scoring his first NHL goal in the postseason. Yeah, and also coming in a loss. I know yeah. I looked it up, but I'm like, I don't know, one goal, does that feel like it's a goal? That's nice, mm-hmm. but I don't know, like two scoreless innings, five Ks. That's it's like end-to-end well, end rush stuff. That's and- not just... Tuck it in. Yeah. And, I mean, if you want to go further with the comparison, and the timelines aren't exact, but, yeah, Nate Pearson arrived when there were two young players that were very much emerging with the Blue Jays, and one guy who I pegged as maybe the only potential future Hall of Famer on the Blue Jays, Mm -hmm. Bo Bichette, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who had the incredible 2021 season and hasn't been bad, but, like, yeah, hit the ground running. And then Alec Manoa, you know, Save for last season, the two previous, he was a top five American League signing award candidate. So, yeah, you do arrive with different expectations. Now, that being said, like, Nate Pearson just, like, flat out. It's not that he he wasn't quite at those levels. He was just, like, bad. He had a half a moment this year. I did think we were getting, like, the Nate resurgence. Yeah, and then... I, here's the thing, though. He's just a guy. Like, yeah. he's a middle reliever. Right. And well, and the other part of it, too, and again, it's like the way sports change and expectations change. And, you know, like, Nate Pearson, I have it in front of me here. He's not. It's not 45. He's 27 years old. Right. When he came up, it's like, ooh, 99. Like that. Yeah. 99. Just a guy. To your point, right? Right. Like he was the fire. He was the fire. He was a flamethrower coming Mm -hmm. out of the back end. And um, Jordan, remember Jordan Hicks? You won't see him again. But remember what that looked like? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. No, it's true. Different Um, times. Yeah. And it's also like 100 is good when you you, you throw it in the right spots. Mm. But if it's straight and people are anticipating, it goes over the wall. Jordan Hicks also actually is aware of that from time to time. Yeah, he sure is. Uh, last one on the Leafs, and we'll obviously circle back around to them. We're not done with the Toronto Maple Leafs with the half of a show still to go. Uh, where are you on Mitch Marner's season? Because, mm. uh, you know, Gordo's uh, co-author has a, an article out on Toronto Star today, Damian Cox, about our historian. Yeah, uh, our Toronto Maple Leafs historian on the the need for a, a positive second half of the season for Mitch Marner. And I guess like in an overall sense, it does feel like, you know, if, if that was the down year of Austin Matthews' career a season ago with the 40 goals, it feels like this is the down year maybe for Mitch Marner. But man, counting stats, it's not horrible, right? Like he's already got 20 goals this season. You go, mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, you go from a per 60 perspective, He's actually averaging the most goals per 60 of his entire career. The points per 60 slightly down from a season ago, but it's all on account of the secondary assists per 60 because the primary assist per 60 is exactly the same. He's down 0.4 of a secondary assist per 60, and, and clearly power play points have dried up for him because the power play is just not as good as a season ago. Yeah, it's been a it's been a down year. I actually think the Matthews comparable 
is a fair one. And, you know, I think if we're going to do the comparing him to Matthews, you know, we all know where the pecking order falls on this team. And it's not a slight to Mitch Marner that he's not on the level that Austin Matthews is. And, you know, Matthews down year looks one way. Marner's down year maybe looks this way. But the thing that about these guys, and they're totally capable of it, and, you know, I actually think I spoke this into existence earlier on in the year, right before his hat trick game, is you just need a little stretch, little run couple three-point nights in a week or, you know, the four-point night where you're feeling yourself and a player like that, it's amazing how momentum starts going downhill. Like, I know people roll their eyes at that, but for that guy specifically, and mm-hmm. I don't mean that guy, but a player like that, a guy who, look, 200-foot player, gives you honest shift, all that. He needs to be Superman out there. He needs to be Marner the Magician. He needs the Marner magic to be feeling at his best, not to be the best version mm-hmm. of himself, but he needs that and that a confident Mitch Marner is the best version of Mitch Marner you'll get. And guess what? Best way for him to be confident is to see that point total keep climbing, climbing, climbing. So I don't think it's been a bad year for him by any means, but I think that let me, let me put it this way. There's a reason why he will not be signing his contract extension after this season with the absence of a big, big playoff run. Right. And it's because there is still another level that he can reach. And it's not a level we haven't seen yet, mm-hmm. but there's another level to be reached than what we're seeing this year from the player. And I guarantee he'd tell you the same. Yeah, which is incredible to say because he's off. To, like lots of players around yep. the league would would kill for his point total still as over, we had yep, point per game to the uh, to the All Star break. And yeah, well. I think I, I do buy John Tavares not being too too swayed emotionally one way or the other when things are going bad or things are going good. Mm-hmm. I think the same cannot be said of Mitch Marner, who very much wears his emotions. Like as much as you're talking about the player benefiting very much from a strong run of play and, yeah. and the confidence uh, of uh, a couple of strong games, like I think yep. Mitch Marner in particular, yeah, I think um, yeah, just this is gleaning from okay. the outside. Yeah, I, I, I think that, yeah, also there's a, a a reverse John Tavares thing happening with Mitch Marner. Oh, okay. I, I get what you're, I get what you're getting at there. There's definitely some element to that. And I've, I've made this point before as well. The, the two of them aren't tied at the hip like they were in that first season, but it's not lost on me that the, and look, John Tavares is where he is in his career, but the second, the winger that he's with cools off a bit, mm-hmm. he cools off too. And mm-hmm. he is the secondary player on that line, 11 million bucks. It's not what you wanted to be, yada, yada, yada. But that's the reason why we're having these conversations is when Tavares was going, Nylander was going. Mm-hmm. Nylander's not going, Tavares isn't going. When Tavares and Marner were together, Marner wasn't really going. It's kind of that simple, right? Much like with the Leafs, we could talk about all the different factors and this and that and the third. Are they getting saves? Mm-hmm. If they're not, there's really nothing to talk about. And with Tavares, is he giving you a good on his shift? Is he winning his battle? Yes, I, I still think he's doing all those things. He's winning all his draws, yada, yada, yada. But if the winger he's with isn't really going, it kind of doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you can't say that Mitch Marner's line mate isn't going because he's still on pace for all. <laughs> oh, he's going. Goals. All right. Uh, when we come back, mm, the Lions are going home mm. uh, as they lose the NFC They're going Championship home. game. They're going home. <laughs> they blow a 17-point lead. Dan Campbell. Couple of interesting decisions on fourth down in the second half. Where does that leave his standing as the head coach of the Detroit Lions? Uh, we'll get into that and more next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes you can only say so much about a little bit of a you got to get your heart ripped out, which we did. And it's a lesson learned. And look, I told those guys, this may have been always shot. 
Do I think that? No. Do I believe that? No. However, I, I know how hard it is to get here. I, I'm well aware. And it'll be, it's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point next year than it was this year. That's, that's the reality. And if we don't have the same hunger and the same work, which is a whole other thing, once we get the offseason, um, then we got no shot of getting back here. I don't care how much better we get or what we add or what we drive. It's irrelevant. Um, it's going to be tough. Everybody in our division is going to be loaded back up. And, uh, you know, you're not hiding from anybody anymore. Everybody's going to want a piece of you, and uh, which is fine, you know, which is fine. But um, so it's hard. You want to make the most of every opportunity. And we, we had an opportunity and we just couldn't close it out. It's, it does. It stings. It stings. Whoopsie doodle. Uh, fan morning show. Sports at 59 <laughs> fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Yeah, a couple of teams from the NFC North, I think. Uh, mm. You know, you can have the positive outlook of them being near the beginning of their window of contention and mm. certainly the Packers more than the Lions. They're the youngest team in the NFL. Mm. But both had opportunities to break through in big ways in the postseason and obviously the Lions in a, a further round than mm. the Packers. But yeah, you have a 17-point lead against a 12-win 49ers team in the second half. You should probably like not blow that lead before the end of the third quarter. I do not disagree. I actually didn't think that's where you were going with that. I thought you were going to say that the Lions, you know, path and roadmap to getting more difficult starts in their own division with, yeah, the Packers have proved that. But, you know, Bears, half a stride, two picks, super high in this draft. Like, mm-hmm. it is not even going to necessarily stay easy in their own division. Also just hearing that from Dan Campbell and I know part of it is like with Santos bumping us in with the M&M, but it's like, you have one shot, one opportunity. It's like, was he watching eight mile hmm. right before uh, the game? I, I, I completely echo a lot of what he says. I mean, the better you get in the NFL, the more people want a piece of you. The fact that this lions team, it's not just the, the weight of other teams, but it's the weight of expectations. It's, it's, Easy. It's hard to do something the first time, but it only gets harder when there are more expectations placed upon you. And yeah, you can say you have a track record and all that, but I I believe a lot of what he said there that this is going to be, and not to say they can't be back, not to say they'll you know completely crumble, but you know entirely possible they lose one if not both coordinators this this off season. Like there is there's no guarantee that it goes this well again in Detroit. It's just like it felt like a Cinderella season. Jared Goff's going to be 30 years old next fall as well. Uh, Lions actually had a win probability of over 90% in that third quarter. Naturally, you're up by 17 points in the second half of a football game. Um, There's only been one team in postseason history to be trailing by that many and to have erased that deficit by the end of the third quarter, and it's the San Francisco 49ers yesterday. So I think there's two major talking points out of this game. There's... Brock Purdy and the conversation around Brock Purdy in the first half was going to be very different than the conversation around uh, Brock Purdy yep. through the full 60 minutes. But the bigger one is the Dan Campbell conversation, who at the end of the first half on fourth and goal from like the two decides to kick the field goal to put his team up 17 instead of going for it. Nobody mm-hmm. went for it more on fourth down than Dan Campbell this season at over 30%. So they get outrageously high percentage. But he took the points at the end of the first half. Couple of times in the second half, yep. he goes for it on fourth down. One, it's 
a catch that Josh Reynolds sure would like to have back. And there was another one in that football game that he sure would like yeah. to have back. Uh, second one wasn't nearly as close. Second one was not a, like a, no chippy. No. But a field goal from within 50 yards. 48, yep. To tie the football game that he decided not to take. Um, let's just, let's, let's start with the Dan Campbell yeah. of it. Brent, where are you on the Dan Campbell decisions? I think that you have every right to criticize him. You should criticize him. The calls he made did not play out in his team's favor. And guess what? I was doing the exact same thing last night as I was watching this in real time. But the more I've thought about this, I do come around to a certain extent to you live by the sword, you die by the sword. The If this goes the other way and they play the chippy and the Niners come back the other way and it's it's the game that very easily could have happened, you know what we'd be sitting here saying? We'd be going... The Lions stop being who they are. The Lions aren't a team that's here because they're great. I mean, that is why I think they're here. I think Jared Goff's really proven he is, you know, maybe not what you close your eyes and think of as number one pick, but a guy that can you can win with. Jameer Gibbs proved to be really talented. That defense held its own more than it, it had at certain times this year. But I, I think you just have to be the team you are that got yourself to this point, especially, and this part can't be overstated, your head coach isn't Kyle Shanahan. He's not there because he schemes to death. He's there. Dan Campbell was not a coordinator. Okay. He didn't get this job because he's going to scheme it up and he's going to look, look you in the eye and tell you you're going to win because you're a winner and you need to. And guess what? Because it didn't get to, because it didn't work out. You, I'm not saying you, but the Royal, you out there, you get to Nelson Muntz, ha ha and laugh and say, ah, the meathead did the dumb thing and look how it turned out. But that's what got them here was being this team. That's what got them here was being unshepherded by a guy like Campbell. And I understand especially the dichotomy of him going for it or, or uh, kicking the field goal in the first half and not in the second half. But I just think they are they are who they are. Mm-hmm. And you have to be that to a certain extent. Yeah, but anybody can just go for every fourth down, right? Like anybody can do that. Yeah. Um, and he didn't, right? He didn't at the end of, of the first half. I think... What you're saying, there, there's an element of truth to that, right? Like, and there's, you know, there's argument, there's numbers arguments to be made about the 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 times that you go for it and the times that you don't, yep. and and a lot of coaches have, have really embraced analytics and decided that they are they're going to almost live and die by that sword. And we 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 laugh, some of us laugh them out of the room if if they're they they only listen to the numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't be the opposite side of it either where you only go with your gut or you only, like, you're just a binary person that you right. only ever go for it if it's a fourth and less than five. Yep. But I, I think there is just a a momentum, like, gut feel argument yep. to be made, especially, like, well, twice, really. Both of the the, the fourth yep. down attempts in the second half. First one, so the reason I, I, I thought it was a good idea for the Lions to kick the field goal at the end of the first half while... I, I thought they had all the momentum, and boy, it would have felt like the kill shot if they punched that in before halftime, but it made it a three-score game, right? Yep. You go from, well, 14 points to 17 points. It's a three-score game, which is like, I, I, I get it, like not that much difference on the scoreboard, but like psychologically, there's a big difference to me going mm-hmm. from a two-score game to a three-score game. Yep. I didn't hate it. Uh, 49ers come out in the second half, immediately score a field goal to make it back to a two-score game. You have a chance to once again make it a three-score game. Mm. Uh, the mo- you can like once yep. you don't convert that fourth down, the wheels are set in motion. For me, I can just tell you as a viewer at no, home. Right. 
you're thinking about, oh my God, like, is this, are we about to see something incredible? And then, yeah, lo and behold, we get the insane uh, catch that leads to the eventual touchdown that will, I mean, unless the Lions win next year, like until the Lions win, the Brandon Ayuk uh, catch off uh, a defender's helmet and, and getting inside the 10-yard the line is going to be the defining image of this season for the Lions. Twice you had an opportunity, and the second time it's like stem the tide, right? It's it's yeah. a, we can forget about all the horrible things that have happened in this half of football, and we can at least say that all right, we're back to even. And you didn't do that either. To me, there was like a gut feel argument to be made for kicking the field goals twice in the second half. Yeah, I I can I can totally see that side of it. I think the other part of it as well is that. When you want to do that, when you want to go for it on fourth and short or fourth and three or whatever you want to call it, it's because, yes, you want to stamp home whatever you've got going. But it's also, generally speaking, because you want to continue the momentum that you've built. And the offense just didn't have it. Like, it was a tale of two halves there. The You know, the the other part as well is, like, the massive turnover in that game, the Gibbs fumble. Like, that ends up hurting oh, yeah. them in a big, big way. I mean, way. it's not – those are not the only two no, no, of course. plays of the game, right? Yep. Like, clearly, the, the Lions had other opportunities to win Well, the there was the – I'm trying to – it was Williams who had the, the deep shot there that goes right through his hands. And, you know, that's a tough catch. Like, this isn't a – Darius Toady situation, but I don't know. Like NFL rules, backyard rules kind of apply to that one. You can get a hand on it. You got to find a way to, to corral it in there in, in that spot. What do you make to the credence of, you know, and I know we touched on this a little, but I think it is an important piece with the go for it, don't go for a conversation of the idea that Dan Campbell, again, he's not Kyle Shanahan as a head coach. And I don't bring that up to talk about him as a leader, but if he loses, forget both. If he loses one of those coordinators, like that's been such a big tale of what the Lions have been this year. And, you know, we've done this before where Brian Dable was the savior for the Bills offense. And guess what? Josh Allen's still pretty good since he's mm-hmm. moved on. So it's not to say you can't find somebody else or you can't keep this thing moving. But it's a little bit different when your coach is a Dan Campbell type who's a leader of men. He's not a scheme it up guy. And I don't, I don't want to paint this like as a Neanderthal who doesn't understand what like a Tampa two is or something along those lines. But I think that's another part of it is that when you have this Cinderella feel and how can you feel like the lions don't have that, that I think you do just go for it. And the last thing on it as well is we've seen this movie in the past and you know, we have this argument to we play the results with it a lot of the times, but when you're the lesser team, you don't play to extend the game. You don't play to continue it along. You do go for the kill shot. We've seen this with, okay, kick a field goal to send it to overtime. You know what? I don't think overtime is going to go very well for us. Let's just go for two and end this sucker right now. And 50-50, it doesn't work out. But I think that that's part, that plays into all the decision as well that Campbell did there. Uh, so from the Campbell perspective, it's been an incredible narrative run for him this postseason. Boy, and he, he's gotten to to dunk on a lot of people who dunked on him at that introductory news conference yep. in Detroit. And who didn't enjoy that from like, a, oh, of course, the Lions are hiring this guy, this insane person to be the next head coach. And yeah. I think my initial take was if you're going to be bad, at least be crazy. So I liked it. I think that was my initial take. Right. I, I think there were very few, if any, <laughs> people who were evaluating that introductory news conference and said, this is exactly what the Detroit Lions need. Um, it approved to, to be the case. Now, that being said, you're right. To talk about Ben Johnson departing, it seems like he's going to be the next head coach of the Washington Commanders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much Good of... Good job by you. It, 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 it seems like so much of what they've 
accomplished this season has been on the strength of their incredible offense and the incredible run schemes that they've they put forth this season. So, I mean, there's going to be a skeptical eye cast at them if they're not as good offensively next season. Yep. Secondarily, if they don't have the same success with the the in-game strategy that they had this season, because you're right to say that, hey, that's this team's DNA. They went forward a bunch on fourth down, and they're not playing in an NFC Championship game if they aren't that aggressive style of team. You can also look at some of those plays as, hey, maybe they just kept rolling the dice, and, and they just kept hitting 11. Like, what if you go through a 17-game season, and, you know, half of those dice rolls go against you, and your offense isn't as good it's, I mean, Dan Campbell's right to talk about maybe this was our one shot. Maybe this is the one shot for him to really cement his legacy in Detroit. Like, I don't discount the possibility that the narrative train goes off the tracks in Detroit next season for him. It's entirely possible. You know what team popped to my mind as you said that? And obviously they're different and their, you know, luck or variance went in a different way. It's the Vikings, the last year. I was thinking the same games. thing. Exactly. And, exactly. And, you know, I like, do I like Jared Goff more than I like Kirk Cousins? Yeah. I don't know, not by mm-hmm. not by a not by that Josh Allen throw that was incomplete last week, not by a, a country mile. So I'm totally there with you. That was the exact team that popped into my mind. Of course, it's in the division as well, and you know the way variance works out, I could easily th- see things kind of bouncing back there. So yeah, that's the team that kind of came to mind was the Vikings, right? Everyone was now. The difference is, I think the Vikings were a much less fun story. Yeah. You know, some of us get excited. Not me. I want to be very clear about Kirk Cousins, but the 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 way the Lions go about it with Dan Campbell, it's much different than hmm. Isn't it interesting that they have such a great turnover margin and in one score games the right. results look this way it's easier to get behind oh, this guy's a man leader of men all that so yeah so it's, uh, it's very well brought up by you because i immediately go well, to the vikings and, and here's what happens because we've seen this happen before remember brandon staley out of the gates was the same deal he was like every fourth down we're going for it baby mm-hmm. and he is noted Mr. genius brandon staley and he was like we're, <laughs> we're listening to the analytics now that was a more of a a, a numbers-based approach right that that the numbers yep. do do suggest that nfl head coaches should go for it more often on fourth down, especially kicking short field goals, just rarely a good idea. And then what happened? Like some of those fourth downs, you started getting stuffed on. Yep. And guess what happened? He got gun shy. Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden that's not part of your DNA. And then like, what are you? And then, you know, it's like being at yep. the blackjack table and you're like, <laughs> I always split tens, which you shouldn't do. I don't know blackjack strategy. I think it's very cool that you can split. That's and, all I know. Anyways, and then, you know, you have a couple of cold hands and you lose, you know, five, six hands sure. in a row. Well, and for me, that means I'm done because I'm out of money. Yeah. But for you who like goes to the table with $2,000, you're like, well, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> and then of course the next hand, you you have the split that you should have done yeah. and it would have resulted in a victory. But because you've gone away from your strategy, you can't play it out in the long term. Yep. And, and you end up, Losing both ways. You lose being aggressive, and then you lose when you lose that aggressiveness. Like, I could very well see a situation where that's the situation with the Lions next season. We've seen it with Brandon Staley. Cost him his job. I'd like to commend you. A couple things. Uh, Something tells me uh, Dan Campbell just a little bit less of a coward than Brandon Staley, like just on the eye test there. I I think there's something of that. And I'd also like to commend you of making a blackjack analogy, but not the hit on 18 joke that everyone made Mm. about Dan Campbell. It's like Dan Campbell sitting there, sitting there with 20 hit. Feel that ace <laughs> right. coming. Right. Yeah, so good job by you, Thank you. Not, not doing the exact same blackjack joke as everyone else. So, unfortunately for the Lions, they are, they're still lumped into what is an increasingly smaller group of 
professional sports franchises that are cursed, and obviously the Leafs are involved. Obviously. But yeah, like, and I, I know for younger people than us, it, it, it's hard to imagine a world in which the Red Sox were a part of this. But yeah, they were. I mean, boy, the Red Sox were uh, patient zero. I mean, we lost the Cubs. Yeah. We lost the Cavaliers to mm-hmm. a lesser extent. Yeah, that one didn't feel as much part and parcel, but you're right. Yeah. yeah, I guess you can argue that the Guardians are still in there, despite the fact that they've been in that world. They were in that World yep. Series against the Cubs. It's Browns. Yeah, the Browns are in there. Um, I mean, do we consider the Raptors? I mean, the, the Raptors weren't around long enough to consider them a cursed bunch. Although yeah, it, kept, no. it, it felt like there were there was never a path to an eventual championship with LeBron James in the Eastern Conference. It's 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 a it's a it's a close knit group now. Leafs, Lions. You want to throw the Browns in there? Uh, Browns. I don't know that people do, but Knicks. They're they're our spiritual cousins. I have to throw them in that group. I have to. It's been forever. Yeah. Uh, rough. Uh, rough go for uh, Lions fans, uh, and it's the hope that'll kill you. Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. Uh, Monday Night Hockey on Sportsnet tonight has the Ottawa Senators hosting the Nashville Predators. The money line is a pick'em, essentially minus one ten for both sides. The total six and a half, Brent. Let's go with the under. Uh, Corpus Allo can't make a save, but generally speaking, the Predators do. Uh, and I don't love the Sens to uh, to rack it up. So uh, let's go with the under there. You get it at plus 100. Six and a half is your total. Uh, I like the under here as well. There we uh, go. Especially considering how, I mean, the Senators allow a bunch of goals, but the Predators don't score a bunch. And UC Soros, I think, playing for his next team. And Preds don't score a lot. Yeah. Uh, I like that a whole lot. And then uh, quickly, our first look at the Super Bowl line. We'll probably do a more in-depth analysis of this as the the week goes along. But it is the Chiefs one-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Niners in Vegas, the total 47-and-a-half. Brian, do you have an early take on on the Super Bowl line? Uh, My early take is I feel like a genius for grabbing the Chiefs at plus 900 before the playoffs. But on that line particularly, uh, I, I feel like until proven otherwise... Got to take the points Correct. for the Chiefs. Correct. Okay. Uh, you're you're the arbiter of this, and you've been right all along, so I'm happy. Yeah. No I straw mean, man here. Yeah. When the line's that short, you might as well take the money line. So, yeah, I'll take the the money line at uh, plus 100 for the Kansas City Chiefs. And, yeah, that might be good value because I think the money's moving towards Kansas City as the week continues. That was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. We're going to get... The hockey glitterati in our city here coming up, including our next <laughs> guest, Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com as the fan morning show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, the fan.